Good morning. So what if God sent us a text? That's the, uh, the idea. Uh, I said this last service too. Every time I've seen that video, again, uh, I always wonder, what did he say? What did he say in the text to make people so excited? Because, um, yeah, it's from God. That would be exciting. I would just be, yeah, I just wouldn't trust it, right? So I'm just jaded and whatever. Um, so anyway, my name is Bob. I am uh, an occasional face that gets to come up here and do this. Um, so I'm super excited to be here. Um, we're in a series called Text. Um, the whole idea of texting is actually pretty amazing to me. I can still remember it was around 2004. That's kind of the first time I remembered my eyes opening to this whole world of texting. Um, and it's because I liked a girl. Uh, and she, what I realized is I couldn't be the weirdo who always wanted to just talk to her, especially because I'm, I'm socially awkward. Um, so I couldn't be the weirdo that always just talked to her or called her and things, but texts are different. It keeps the conversation going all day long, but it's so impersonal, like it's not a, you know, you're not a weirdo if you do it. And so it was a whole new world for me, um, getting into texting, and you know, like two and a half years later, I ended up marrying her. So thank you, texting. Thank you for opening up that whole world to me. And uh, so now I'm married to Ruth, and we still text to this day. Um, <laughs> But it's amazing to me how it's essentially taken over uh, communication uh, in a lot of ways, because I don't talk on my phone. Like if Verizon told me, hey, you have a plan that has 10 minutes of talking, I'd say that's about eight minutes too much. That's a waste of minutes. Because um, if someone calls me, chances of me answering are very slim, for one, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait for it to go to voicemail. Siri or whoever is going to transcribe it into text. I'm going to then read it, and then I'm going to text them back. Um, so even if you call me and leave me a voicemail, it's still texting me at, at the end of the day. Um, it's, just, it's just taken over. So the, the deal with texting is, if, or calling, if, if my phone rings in my pocket, um, I'm not, I, for some reason, I don't know psychologically why, I don't feel a huge urge to answer it. Um, I feel a huge urge to wait until I get that voicemail thing, right? But if I get a text, it's different, right? It you know, buzzes three times in my pocket rather than whatever, like a call. For some reason, there's something in me that's like, gets a little antsy, and then I gotta check it. If like I'm in a meeting or something like that, my boss does not like it because we're all doing it. We all just check it. If, if I got a text right now, don't text me, but if I got a text right now, I wouldn't check it because I'm preaching, right? But I would feel weird to not check it. Um, and what we're doing with this series is we're trying to in a way, we're trying to invite God to replicate that same feeling in us. If, if the Bible is essentially a text from God, a very long text, um, I, I do agree, um, but if it's a text from the Lord, then we're trying to uh, kind of replicate that feeling that that text can't just sit on the shelf. It can't just sit in your pocket. We're trying to build this angst as a community to open it, to get into it, to read it, to... to to do whatever you've got to do um, in order to get into the text. Um, that's what we're praying that the Lord will do uh, in us and for us uh, through this whole series. So this is week three, um, if you haven't been with us the whole time. Week one was called Read the Text. It was just Jake challenging us to get into it and, and start doing it. So week one is Read the Text. Week two last week was Trust the Text. If you didn't hear that one, it's actually a really, really helpful talk on why we can trust the historicity, if that's a word, um, the historical accuracy and 
um, and what's going on in here. Very, very helpful. Uh, worth the podcast last week. This one, this week, is called uh, Study the Text. And I'm really going to focus on how to do that. Uh, and then next week is called Question the Text, where uh, Dr. Wally Kowalski, who is, uh, he was a professor, and now he's a missionary in Thailand, but he was a professor at Northwest University, and he'll be here next week to answer your questions. So there's going to be a number up there that you can text a question to about the Bible. Why does it say this? Or what about this? Or how, could, how do you explain when Bob said this? He didn't sound right. He sounded unsure. Can you explain it more? Whatever. You can text uh, whatever comes to mind to that number, and we'll talk about that uh, next week. So, so with all that said, um, my focus this morning is on how, how to study the text. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with one, just one text. There are many that we could go over, but I'm going to start with one that sort of sets the stage for the, the kind of posture that we should have when we approach the scriptures, when we approach the text. Um, so it's from Psalm 19, uh, it's verses 7 through 10, and I'll read that. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And here's the main one, for at least for what I'm talking about now. More to be desired are they talking about the rules and the precepts. So more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So the sort of posture that we should have when we come to the text to study it, it's not like a scientific, just, you know, heady, I'm just going to read it for the facts and then I'm going to move on with my life. It's a whole different posture that we approach this uh, thing with. It's the idea that the precepts are right and true, and it goes into that. But then even more so, it really gets at this posture of the heart uh, in verse 10, um, when it says that more to be desired is this than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter than honey. You have to remember that back in the day, I mean, this was th literally thousands of years. Back in the day, they didn't have candy like we have. Right? I'm not a big candy guy, but they didn't have sweets. They didn't, they didn't have a candy aisle at Safeway. They didn't have gum. They didn't have you know, all these mints and all these different things that we have. They didn't have them at their fingertips. For them, if you were going to think of the sweetest thing that would be you know, to, to taste and things like that, the, the pinnacle of that idea would be honey. That's what they had. So when, when this author says that the precepts of the Lord are more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey, what he's saying is it's sweeter than whatever your favorite candy. It's better than having dark chocolate with a cup of coffee. It's better than, you know, whatever your thing is, right? So for, for me, uh, my wife makes pumpkin scones. It's like her thing, right? Pumpkin scones, she has perfected the recipe, uh, Praise be to the Lord, because I love them, right? And she makes this glaze. Uh, I keep telling her to start a bakery, and it's just called Everything's Glazed. We glaze hamburgers. We glaze scones. We glaze whatever you want. Bring it in, we'll glaze it, because her glaze is amazing. Um, so she makes these pumpkin scones. So the idea is the posture of heart um, when you're approaching the scriptures. Liter literally, her scones, when I wake up in the morning, 
and my alarm goes off, if I know that she made scones the night before and I know that they are out on the countertop, there is no snooze button. We're good to go, okay? I'm up, I'm out the door, I'm going to make coffee to have some time with the Lord and to scone, right? Uh, it's that sort of posture, like literally you should be walking out the door knowing that this is going to be a really sweet, sweet thing that I'm engaging, if that makes sense. It can't be this kind of just cerebral thing, like heady thing. It, there's actually a posture of the heart that's right. So with that posture, what I want to do is I just want to walk through some really painfully practical, I hope anyway, um, ideas on how to study the text. I'm, I'm just going to walk through how I do it. It's a way. It's not the only way. Um, and I'm, I'm going to tell you some kind of tricks that I've picked up along the way. So the first time I ever really engaged the Bible in a, in a true and meaningful way, I was 16 years old. I was living in northern Minnesota in a little town called Warba. Um, population 137. You've probably heard of it. Uh, <laughs> So I lived in Warba, and I, my family didn't go to church or anything like that, really not a, that sort of non-religious family, whatever you want to call it. But a friend from school invited me to youth group. I didn't even know that was a thing at the time, but she said, hey, do you want to come to youth group? And I lived in Warba, Minnesota, where there is nothing to do, absolutely nothing, unless you want to go out into the woods and like hunt for a rabbit or something like that. Um, and I had enough rabbits at the time, so I decided that I was going to go to youth group. And this was in town, right? So that's 25, 30 miles away. Uh, my mom drove me, pretty cool. Uh, so here I am, I'm going to youth group. And I remember getting there, there were about a dozen teens. So basically every teen within 100 miles. Uh, uh, about a dozen teens or so. And they started off by playing these stupid youth group games that were so, so stupid and dumb, and I loved them secretly because um, they were actually kind of fun, but you can't say you love Anyway, um, so we played these games, and then the, the gal who was in charge of it, she st stood up, and she had a Bible in her hand, and she talked for however, I don't, I don't remember how long she talked. I don't remember a word she said um, from, from the Bible that day, but I do distinctly remember a, a feeling, like this, this feeling of... Um, being compelled. I can't even explain it. I was compelled towards it. I wanted more of it, whatever it, it was at the time. I, I couldn't even explain it. When she was reading it and explaining it and talking about how it affects our life, for some reason there was just light bulbs or something going off, and I thought to myself, I, I need that. Um, and at the end, uh, she actually handed me a Bible and said, this is yours. I want you to keep this. And it was a big, beefy, like good Bible too. Um, and she said, I want you to take this home, home and I want you to read it. And I didn't know any better. I was like, okay, she said it. She's like a holy woman or something. I don't know. Uh, I got to go read it. And so I did. I went home. We, uh, we lived, you know, we lived on 40 acres, the whole deal. And I literally started at Genesis and I read the book of Genesis. Um, and I was a nerd. I, I love reading and stuff. So that wasn't too big of a deal. I ate it up. I couldn't understand how no one had told me about this stuff. Like how, and I kept thinking to myself, there's something about these words being truer than reading other books. There's just something there, right? I would now, back, I would call that the Holy Spirit, but there was something about it. The next day I read the book of Exodus and you can see where it's going because it's happened to so many of us. The next, 
I don't think it was the next day, um, but whatever, the next one I was going to read, I went to the next book in line. I got to Leviticus. I got just a little bit in, and then I was like, I need to go back to youth group, I think, and ask the holy woman some questions. Uh, so I did, and she said, no, 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 don't, don't read that first. You get, that, you get there eventually, um, but really you start about two-thirds of the way in, and she said, why don't you start with Romans? And I was like, ooh, okay, I'm going to go do Romans. So, all to say, that's how my story in the scriptures started. And when I went to Romans, I got so lost so fast in this really, really meaty stuff that Paul was writing that I didn't have a clue what to do from that point. I was like, if this is the way the whole thing's going to read, I don't know if this is going to work out between us, God. Um, because Romans, is, it's beefy. You should be in it, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's very um, rich and dense and you need some explanation to go with it. So what, what the goal is, is we're going to walk through how to pick up your Bible, how to study it, um, and when you get to hard places like Romans or Leviticus and things like that, we're going to try to give you essentially like a map, a road map or a compass or whatever so that you can nav- navigate your way through it. So when you came in, there's a green sheet on your chair. It's called Grow Tools. That is Arbor's kind of grow-on-your-own roadmap, uh, if you will. Just a real practical way to walk through the scriptures. So before we get into that, um, what I want to do is I want to bring up this two ideas, really. One is if you're going to commit to studying the text, which I can't recommend more, um, I think you need to have a Three things. You need to put three things in place. And this is the same for most. This, this is just a, you know, a common sense thing. But you need to come up with a time. You need to come up with a place. And then you need to have a plan. Otherwise, it's going to peter out. I promise you because I've had it peter out on me you know, 50 times and I've had to re-pick up the plan. So a time. What time works best for you to get in and to study the scriptures? If you're, super, uh, if you're a morning person, great. Give some time in the morning. If you're the night owl, don't try to get up at four in the morning and be, you know, someone you're not and try to get in the scriptures. Have a time that works for you. For me, it's first thing in the morning before the kids are up. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. Have, you know, what's your time, essentially? Uh, A place. For me, uh, I'm getting up first thing in the morning before anyone else in the house. I'm going to the table that's closest to the coffee maker and potentially pumpkin scones right here to the right. Um, so that's my place. I go to the, the dining room table. I used to get up super early, and instead of doing that first, I'd go to the gym first and then go straight to work, and then I'd have like an hour and a half to just read, and that was my place. So whatever your place is, just have one um, and make it a place where you're not distracted. I think that's important. The third one, this is the one we're going to park on for a while, is have a plan. And that's what Grow Tools are, that it's meant to give you a plan, a way to uh, walk through the scriptures. So before we um, get too far into it, I forgot to bring one up, so I'll grab one. Uh, At the beginning, you'll see that it's going to walk you through uh, an acronym called SOAP. So it's S for scripture, and we'll dive into all these. I'll actually walk through a passage like I would first thing in the morning using SOAP. Um, So every morning you got to SOAP up. That's what we used to say when I was a youth pastor. S is for scripture, O is for observe, observations, what do you see? A is for application, what are you going to do? And P is for um, prayer, because you need, you need God's help to do all this stuff. Um, so here's, here's what this is rooted in. Um, I, I have an undergrad in ministry leadership, uh, which means I got to take some Bible courses. 
I don't know what that um, was worth at the end of the day, except for a lot of student loan debt. Um, but I got to take some really cool Bible courses. And one of my favorites was uh, called hermeneutics. And in hermeneutics, hermeneutics is a word that I don't even know what it really means, except for it's biblical interpretation. I'm sure it has some sort of like Latin meaning or something that I'm not smart enough to know. But hermeneutics means biblical interpretation. So I took that class in undergrad. I'm actually auditing a grad-level class right now because I, I geek out on this stuff, right? But the idea, the basic idea of hermeneutics and, and uh, interpreting the Bible correctly um, can be broken up. It did this in one of our textbooks. It can be broken up into uh, an illustration where you basically walk through three steps. The first thing you do if you encounter a, a page of scripture um, is you have to understand it. And again, it's an illustration, but you have to understand what this text meant in their town. Because we're separated from this text by at least 2,000 years. So the way to understand it is you have to first um, clarify what this text meant to them in their town 2,000, 3,000, sometimes even longer, um, that many years ago, and understanding what it meant in their context will then lead you to the second step, which is crossing. You have to imagine, I should back up a little bit, you have to imagine that there's their town in the past, you have to imagine that there is a river running between them and us. In some places, it is really, really wide. When you read the Leviticus, that river is very wide because we, you will not see me sacrificing a goat on this stage anytime soon um, because that is something that we don't touch. Jesus was the final sacrifice. That, you know, that river's uh, uh, real broad. There are other books in the Bible that you'll read, like First Corinthians, for example, was written to a church that was just jacked up, full of people who couldn't get their minds right and all this different stuff. It's like living in Seattle. First Corinthians is written to Seattleans or what it, Seattleites. So that river is very, it's a lot narrower, if you will. So, so what I'm saying is you have to understand the text in their town. You have to um, determine how wide that river is because step two is you need to cross, and this is totally Bible college language, and I'm happy you get to experience it. You have to cross the principalizing bridge, the bridge of principles. So before you boo me off the stage, what that means is something happened in their town and it meant something, but there is a timeless truth, a timeless principle that is still in that text and it's in every text. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is useful to teach, to rebuke, to all these things. So what you do is then you cross this river, however wide, and you're crossing it with timeless principles so that you can apply it in our town however many years uh, later, in our context. That's the gist, anyway, of hermeneutics, of proper biblical interpretation, because we don't get to make up meaning when it comes to the Bible. The author had an intention based in a context written back when, but there are principles that still apply today no matter what text you're reading. That's the idea of um, proper biblical interpretation. And what soap is, is just a way of walking you through that. It's, it's literally all it is. So S uh, stands for scripture. The big idea of it is you, you ask yourself, what am I reading? So S is their town. What's the context? Uh, who's the author? What was going on in that day to make it so that that author wrote this book? Why was Leviticus written when it was written? Uh, why was, 
you know, all of them. Why, were the, why was this psalm written? Some of them you can actually link the psalm that David wrote, if he's the author of one. You can link it with things happening in his life. So knowing, oh, this is the context. He actually had just sinned a grievous sin against Sheba, and he had just murdered her husband, and now he is repenting in this psalm. That could be the meaning in their town, right? So the whole idea of Scripture is just um, taking a second to ask some questions. What am I reading? What type of text is it? Um, is it a letter? Is it history? Is it prophecy? Is it a, a sermon itself? There are those that are in here. Um, all sorts of different things. It's just trying to get the context. What was going on? Um, and I'll actually, like I said, I'll walk through it through a text in a second. But big picture, O is observations. The idea then, once you've kind of, you've determined, okay, I get the context a bit, then you're just reading it and making observations. What stands out to you? Are there, are there words that pop up multiple times that just for some reason it strikes you today? Because here's the other thing. When you wake up, or, or whenever that is, when you're going to study the scriptures, the first thing you ought to be doing is saying, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see. Help me to see. You know, shed more light on this. So you're asking that question, Lord, what do I see? And you make observations. And then A, application, arguably the most important one, you're searching for what is that timeless truth? What is that principle that I can grab from their context? What is the timeless truth that I can then walk over the principalizing bridge uh, and then walk into our town uh, today and it can impact and change and transform my life today? That's um, application. And then P is pray. You should end that time by praying that the Lord would uh, do, do the work um, in you that he's doing through the scripture. So, Let's, let's pretend like it is in the morning and we're literally going to do uh, what I would do in the morning. So my alarm has gone off. Lucky for me, there are pumpkin scones, so I'm not going to snooze today. Uh, I have brushed my teeth and I have made my coffee and I'm at the table. And for me, just personally, I'll, I'll share how, um, how I go cover to cover in about a year. It, it, I've done it about eight years in a row now. Um, and for me... If I, I've tried it where I just read just straight cover to cover, I would read about four chapters and I would start in Genesis and I'd read four chapters a day. And by the time I got like three months in, I was just wanting Jesus. I was just wanting to read like the gospels or something, but I knew I had like months left in the Old Testament. So I changed it. I don't just read cover to cover straight through. I've made it so that I read chunks in each um, and that I still get through all of it in about a year, but it's not, um, you know what I'm talking about. So what I do is I read three chapters from the Old Testament every morning, um, but then I break it up and I read one chapter from either Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, or Ecclesiastes. There's a chunk in the middle of the Old Testament called the wisdom literature. It starts with Job and goes through the Song of Solomon. Uh, I read one chapter from those, and when I get through them all, I start over, because those to me are just rich um, and, and they're amazing. Um, and like I said, three chapters from the old, and then I read one chapter from the new, and I'm always reading at least a half a chapter from the Gospels. I know it sounds like convoluted and stuff, but it keeps me always in the Gospels, constantly. Every morning I know I'm there, and it gets me through the whole Bible at least in a year with a lot of cheat days, to be honest. If you do it something like that, I can miss like two days a week and still make it through in a year. And I do. I miss days. So... Um, so that's, that's how I do it. So anyway, so if I sat down 
We're at the table, we got our coffee. Here's how I would walk through soap if I was, um, and I literally was in Matthew chapter 10. I was there two days ago. Um, So if I was gonna look at verses 26 through 33, I would sit down, I would say, I'd say a quick prayer. Lord, please open my eyes because I'm an idiot and it's early in the morning and I need you. And I'm not just saying that, like I pray prayers like that. I'm not claiming to know and all this stuff. Um, So then I would read, Verse 26, so have no fear of them. Um, the first thing I'm gonna do, if I read that, have no fear of them. Okay, well, I'm sitting here, well, right here, I'm in the river, right? And I gotta understand what this means. I gotta ask myself some questions. Scripture, all right, well, what does, the, what does Grow Tool say I need to do? It says to ask the question, what am I reading? I'm reading the book of Matthew, which is a gospel Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus and he is writing an account of his experience following Jesus as a disciple um, for you know, a few years before Jesus was crucified. So okay, it's a historical, it's a narrative, uh, historical narrative, it's a history of someone who is an eyewitness account to the life of Jesus. Okay, so that frames it a little differently than you know, if it was a, a letter that Paul was writing to a church that had a lot of issues or something like that. It's a letter from a, or a, a book from a disciple. Um, and then you have to zoom in even more to this pastor. Have no fear of them. Who in the world is them, right? If you don't know that, you're going to make up your own stuff, your own nonsense, and that's not going to help anybody. So, I mean, you just look, right? It's in a chapter that's labeled. Uh, the, you know, the editors of this version were super helpful, and they said, oh, this is for the 12 apostles being sent out by Jesus. Oh, I remember that story because I just read it. It's Jesus sending out his apostles into the neighboring towns to tell them um, that Jesus is coming, essentially. Um, so, okay, so the verses before are about how uh, Jesus' disciples, and I've already underlined it, are gonna be hated by all for Jesus' name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Um, there are all these you know, contexts to remember. So then I get to verse 26 again and go, so have no fear of them. Okay, it's people who don't necessarily believe in Jesus. Have no fear of them. And already, I mean, we're off to the races. Like that's, I'm already crossing the bridge in a way. Like, okay, I, I already know how that's gonna play out in my life. But we'll keep going. So have no fear of them. That's underlined in mine. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. I don't know what that means. I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. Like in the morning, if I don't get my study Bible out and read that, I don't know. Like that's just where I stand. But I know what have no fear of them means. So then I keep going to verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Okay, so his disciple, if, if it was in a, a place that not everyone got to hear, he wants his disciples to be the ones who go out and actually spread everything Jesus teaches. Okay, I understand that. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So again, um, I actually, so I've answered this, let me back up for a second. I've answered the S scripture question, context. I get that it was written by Matthew and things like that. Um, now what I'm doing is I'm making observations. I forgot to mention that part. So it's what do I see? So the first thing I see, I've underlined it already, and that's how I do it. Have no fear of them. The second one is in verse 28. Do not fear, there's that word again, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, which makes me think they must have been afraid. The disciples must have been afraid, and Jesus sensed it when he was sending them out. Okay, 
So they were real people. That's cool. Turns out I'm a real people too. Uh, And then it says, Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So then I'm thinking to myself, that is a very intense statement. Don't fear people who can kill your body. I don't want that to happen. That sounds kind of brutal. But they cannot kill your soul. Good. I'm not going to fear them. But rather... Fear him who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. Okay, so that is an observation. I am observing now that uh, that is a very, very intense um, uh, a verse about how I should be approaching people and about how I should be approaching God. If, and, and this is what I, literally the thoughts that are going through my mind. And I would be journaling them. I had brought it even with me. I would be writing these thoughts, all of them, in this thing so I can take it with me in my pocket later in the day or I'm going to forget. But I'd be thinking things like, you know, all of us are really tempted to think really happy, clappy thoughts about God. And it's all love and it's all roses and it's all, and all that's true. There's so much love we can't even fathom. But then I get to verses like this and I'm reminded, it's just an observation, that you do not get to walk into the presence of God I don't know the word, willy-nilly. That's what's coming to mind. I wish it wasn't. Uh, what's the better word? Uh, I'm an idiot. Uh, you can't walk in without a, a real deep sense of reverence. You shouldn't fear people, but you better fear the Lord. Uh, that, that's huge, right? Okay, so, uh, and then I, I would keep going. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Actually, I'm going to question that statement. Jesus apparently doesn't have a clue what he's talking about because two sparrows, if I were to go on Amazon.com, pretty sure it's more than a penny. (laughs) I could be wrong about that. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So this is, again, you're doing this over and over again. Okay, in their day, two sparrows might have been sold for less than a penny. I know that if I was to cross, just kind of find the principle, he's not trying to make the point that sparrows should be sold for a penny He's trying to make the point that sparrows are worth almost nothing, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but you, even the hairs of your head, are all numbered. Fear not, there's that word again, fear not, therefore, because you are, more, uh, worth, you are, more, you are of more value than many sparrows. So over and over again as you read this, you need to be going, okay, so the sparrow thing, all he's trying to do, there's a principle here. We are worth more than a whole lot of sparrows. Every hair of our head is literally numbered. And even if that's the case, um, that our, our, the, hair, the short hairs on my head are numbered, uh, I should be walking in life without fear. So this is already bringing me to the A in it, the, the A in soap application. So I've to review, I guess, we've realized that it's a, a letter from Matthew or a, a book from Matthew about Jesus. We've made these observations. I have literally underlined and I've written a line from fear to fear to fear to just call it out, call my attention. And so for application, I'm writing in my journal. I can, I can write. I, wasn't, I didn't do this to prepare for this. This is what I wrote two days ago. Appli- a, I do an A and then I circle it. It says, stop being afraid, stop being concerned about people's opinion of me and of us. When I say us, what I had in mind was me and my family. Because sometimes I get concerned about what people think of even just my family and how I'm leading it. Stop being afraid and concerned about that. Um, 
because that is fearing them rather than fearing the Lord. It's not rocket science, right? I mean, a caveman could have wrote that, um, but that was the application that morning that meant something to me. Stop being afraid of people. So that's, um, and that's got all sorts of, you know, stuff wrapped up in it. So then, uh, if you're to read my journal, the next thing I did after I um, pulled that application of it was I wrote down just a list. I didn't write out a huge prayer or anything. I just wrote down a list of things to pray for. That's, yeah, it's soap, right? Scripture. It's observations, applications, and then prayer. And I literally asked the Lord to please stop this people-pleasing thing that is such a huge part of my life. As a disciple of his, it's disgusting because he should be the only one that I fear. Um, and that's what this, um, this text is uh, really talking about. So that's just one example of how you can walk through soap. It's going to be completely, you're going to write down completely different things um, and you're going to come at it with your own angle and things like that. But that for me is how, how I engage the scriptures. And then I would just flip over to the Old Testament. I would do my three chapters there. I would flip over to, right now I'm in Job. Um, I would do my one chapter there and then I would flip to, uh, right now I'm in the book of Revelation. If you're just getting started with the scriptures and you haven't really done it much, um, I would recommend you start with the book of Mark, which is about two-thirds of the way through, or the book of John, super awesome. Like it, you'll, It'll introduce you to Jesus um, in a really powerful way. After that, I would read the book of Acts because you're going to see what happened with the early church and how the whole thing got launched. Um, from there, it would be pretty cool to read the book of Genesis, things like that. But really what I would recommend is that you get on a plan that would take you from cover to cover in a year, two years, three years. It's all good. It depends on how much time you can give it um, in a day. But my recommendation would be that you don't just be one of those disciples, one of those Christians who just has the coffee mug verses every day, and that's all you get, and that's all you give yourself, because you hop on Twitter, you know a pastor posts a tweet every morning that has a scripture, and that's the only thing you're engaging. That's going to leave you with such a pinhole-sized view of who God actually is that it's not going to be helpful in your life. So my challenge today is that you would jump in, that you would, like the series has said, read the text, that you would trust the text, and that you would actually study the text. Because if we back up, so I was 16, she hands me the Bible, I get my, I'm straightened out, I know how to read, you know, she sends me in the right direction and I start reading it. Looking back on that and now, when I walked into that youth group, I was a moralist. I didn't know it at the time, but I was a moralist. What made me good with God was the fact that I was better than everyone else. I was better than their Christians, to be honest. I lived this, I lived a life because of everything that was happening in my house, with my, my, uh, all the craziness in my house, I could not upset my mom. That was the way I lived. It was what made me right with the universe, right? I was a moralist that made me okay. And I walked in and started, at first, started reading the scriptures from that point of view. Like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I have to do everything right. I can't sin. I can't do anything because I can't make my mom uh, upset because she's already dealing with all sorts of other stuff that she shouldn't be. And then what happened was I started really getting into the scriptures. And I start, at first I was reading rules, and I was like, yep, got those. Check those boxes. I got those better than even you people, and you've been doing it for years. And then I started getting to the real um, stuff for, for uh, I, I started getting to the gospel, where I started to see that it had nothing, 
God's opinion of me had nothing to do with how well I was checking boxes and following rules. It had everything to do with the fact that Jesus is actually the one who obeyed those rules for me and he went to the cross and he died with them on his shoulders so that I, through faith and through believing in that, would have my, I would be okay with with God. That, I went from a moralist and then I went to a actual, an actual Christian, like an actual, like, lay everything, all of my best before Jesus and say it's filthy rags compared to what you did for me um, on that cross. That and more is what's basically, not hidden, but it's here and you can't get to it unless you study it, unless you actually get into it. So that's the charge. If you've never done it before, what I would leave you with is it might seem daunting. It's 31,000 verses. It is daunting. It not just seems daunting. It is daunting. It's a big book. This is a long text message. Um, It's 31,000 plus, a little bit, text messages. The trick to doing it is to just get started. You just got to get started. Start with the New Testament and just read a couple verses, read a chapter, and then wake up tomorrow and do it again. And walk through Grow Tools and it will help you. If you have questions, especially in the next week, text them and Dr. Wally Kowalski will steer you right. Uh, And if you have questions, it's why this church exists, is to help disciples follow Jesus. So with all that said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band back up and we'll keep going.